My name is Steve. I am one of the elders here, and it's, it's my privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, we knew Pastor Clint was going to be gone on this missions trip uh, up until just late this week. And, uh, and so th- this is my opportunity to, uh, uh, to fill in. And um, I appreciate, I know some of you came here despite knowing that the third string was going to be preaching this morning. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, so I, I, uh, I want to share this morning uh, from Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 15 to 23, if you want to. Uh, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, or turn on your phones, or whatever you're, you're doing there. So, and let me just go ahead and read, uh, read the passage for us. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself uh, to us through it, Lord. And uh, I pray, Lord, that as as we uh, dig into this this morning, that uh, you would just continue to show us uh, what you have for us from it. I, I pray, Lord, that you would remove my frailties and my weaknesses and use what I prepared, Lord, just uh, t- to speak uh, t- to all of us, Lord. Um, Lord, I'm, I'm weak, but you're strong as, as, we, as we study this. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, I, I wanted to start by sharing a, a story with you. Um, about a month ago... Uh, Susan and I were coming home from a wedding. It was late at night, about 10 o'clock, and uh, we, were, uh, she, we, had, we had, had to take two cars to the wedding because we'd come from different places. And Susan was about 100 feet behind me on the highway uh, and, and on, in a different lane. And uh, we were, so we were driving through Chesterfield Valley um, on, on the highway, and it was dark. I, had, I was in the convertible, and the, and the top was down, and I was enjoying the night air. And all of a sudden, just out of the corner of my eye, I see a deer. Now, now this deer was next to my car, and it felt close enough that I could just reach out and touch this deer. And something is going off in my brain. There should not be a deer there. You're doing 60 miles an hour. Something is wrong. And it, it was there and gone, just in a flash. And I look up in my rearview mirror thinking, Susan's one lane over, she's gonna hit it for sure. But I see nothing. There's, there's no swerve, there's no crash, nothing. We, we, we drive on and, uh, and I'm wondering, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit in shock. What just happened? You know, what just happened? <laughs> uh, we get home a few minutes later and uh, Susan and I talk and say, did you see that deer? Yeah, what, <laughs> what happened? You know, and apparently, 
So this deer had chosen that exact moment to sprint out across the highway, stop just short of running into the side of my car, and managed to get around behind me before Susan hit it. So I, I shared that story with you this morning because I feel a little bit it relates to this passage. We get through this passage that, that in Ephesians 1 and kind of go, okay, what just happened? Um, you know, I think uh, Paul would have flunked English. Uh, I, and Mrs. Doolittle would have like flunked him out of my 12th grade English class. But I guess he gets a pass because he didn't speak English. So, um, you know, there, in, in, um, in some translations, this whole passage that we read is just one sentence. Uh, and so it's, it's something that I wanted to look at this morning uh, just to help us uh, stop. Um, I, I want to stop, pull over to the side of the highway, back up, and go find that deer and see if we can figure out what was going on there. So um, Paul begins uh, by saying, um, for this reason. Now, uh, Paul's writing to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a, uh, a major Roman city. Uh, there were a lot of, of, of pagan gods that they worshipped, and there was a, a growing and thriving uh, Christian church here, and, th and that's who he's writing to. Now, for this reason, uh, he had just got done explaining how he was thankful for the, the Christians there, and how they had come to saving faith, and how uh, that, that salvation was, was, um, was guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. And, and now he, he's going on to say, okay, uh, I'm praying for you, and, and here's what I'm praying for you. Uh, is that you continue to grow in your faith, and, and he's going to go into detail on in that. Now, now Paul, uh, Paul knows that all this understanding that he wants the Christians to have will, will come through the Holy Spirit. In, um, in uh, 1 Corinthians, we see a little more here, um, which says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So it's, it's the Spirit's role to reveal these things to us. Uh, it's what the purpose that, it's the reason he's given us the Spirit. Uh, and every, every Christian, when they accept Jesus, is in, in, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. It's something that's available to all believers. But now Paul is saying, okay, let's, let's, let's go a little deeper with uh, that understanding. So Paul asks for this, the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation. Uh, let, let's take these separately. I want to look at wisdom first. You know, a lot of times we confuse wisdom and knowledge. Uh, knowledge is information that we have. Uh, wisdom is insight and knowing how to apply that when confronted with a new situation. And, and I came across a, an illustration of this, of, of that difference. Um, there was a Christian university that offered a, a class called a, a New Testament Survey. And this class had a reputation. The same professor had taught it for 25 years. And it was, a, it was, a, it was an easy class. It was an easy A. Because there was no homework. Uh, there were no tests. There was just one final. And that final was, a, was an essay final. And it was always the same question. It was uh, described the missionary journeys of Paul. Well, there was a, a student at this university. Uh, he was on the football team, and his, his nickname was Meathead. And Meathead said, that's the class I need to take. So Meathead, uh, he knew the reputation, and so he prepared all semesters to answer that essay question. 
Well, the end of the uh, semester came, uh, they, the students sat down for the final, and uh, this time the professor changed it up. He wrote a different question on the board. And he wrote, uh, critique Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. Well, the students were stunned. This, is, this was not what was supposed to happen. Uh, many of the students struggled through it and uh, did the best they could. Uh, Meathead, he sat there for a minute and thought, and then he started writing. And for the next two hours, he wrote and wrote and wrote and, 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 uh, and turned in his, uh, his essay answer. Well, the, the grades came out a few, uh, a few days later, and uh, Meathead got an A. And his, you know, his fellow students said, you know, what did you, you, how were you prepared for that? And he said, well, I saw that question and I, I started writing and I said, uh, who am I to critique uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? But let me tell you about Paul's missionary journeys. <laughs> now, I think that's a great illustration. Meathead didn't have the knowledge of, of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but he had the wisdom to know how to proceed anyway. Um, he knew what to do when that situation was, conf he was confronted with that situation. Now, Paul also prays for revelation. And revelation is, uh, is simply something that wasn't known before. It's something that's being revealed. Uh, and Colossians 1 uh, illustrates this for us. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul says here that the, the, the mysteries have been hidden for ages, and now the Spirit is, is revealing this, uh, these mysteries to believers. Um, and all, all this is the work of the Holy Spirit again. And this is, this is the revelation that, that uh, Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Yeah, so here we see wisdom and revelation. They're working together. Uh, revelation is that information that we didn't have before, that we didn't know about and, or understand. And wisdom is the insight to know uh, what to do with that information and, and how to apply it in our lives. Now, now Paul also prays that our hearts would be enlightened. Uh, this is an interesting phrase, and I think it speaks to uh, how, uh, how we take that knowledge to heart. How, uh, that, that we, as we gain that understanding, how does it affect our lives? Um, you know, if, if we truly do understand these mysteries, if we understand these things that, that uh, Paul is going to relate to us, then it ought to uh, cause us to uh, live changed lives. It, uh, it ought to deeply impact us. Psalm 16 says... I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You know, this, this ought to be the attitude of our heart. The Lord always before me. You know, and then I think it is when we experience that peace that only he can provide uh, in, in, in our lives. Now, later in, uh, in Ephesians, in chapter 4, Paul flips this idea of enlightenment uh, upside down, and he looks at the opposite. In, in uh, Ephesians 4.18, it says, they, and that's, they is uh, unbelievers, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them 
due to the hardness of, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So there, there's some, some very distinct contrast between Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4. Uh, as opposed to being enlightened, they're darkened in their understanding. And that leads to a, a life alienated from God. Uh, it, it includes the, the hardening of their hearts, a loss of sensitivity, and being given over to sensuality. And there's, there's a continual desire uh, to just continue on that and, and do more of that. You know, but if instead uh, we're enlightened, uh, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we strive towards changed lives to live in a manner uh, that, of what Christ has called us to do. Uh, and this, this allows us to understand uh, God's plan and his power and, and his purpose as working in the church. So uh, that brings us to, to ask the question, okay, what is it, what is it that he wants us to understand? Uh, and in the, there in Ephesians 1, it says, That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So three things, the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his immeasurable greatness of his power. Okay, so the, the hope of his calling, uh, what does that mean? Now, hope's a term that we use uh, a couple different ways in the English language. Uh, one way is, you know, I, I hope I win the lottery. I heard you have to play the lottery to win the lottery, but you kind of, you know, it's kind of a, it's a wish. I wish I would, I would uh, win the lottery. That's not the hope that's used here, and it's not the hope that we often see used in the Bible. Uh, this, this, uh, the, the other definition of hope is it's an expectation of fulfillment. Uh, we look forward to something that we're confident we're going to attain, but we, we're not there yet. Um, we haven't realized that, that expectation yet. And that's the, uh, the hope that is used here and that Paul is using. So then, uh, what is it he's called us to? Uh, he's called us to live a life in relationship with him. In the, back in the first part of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, he outlines this. Uh, Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the, the hope of this calling is that assurance um, that even before the foundation of the world, God knew us, and, and he called us to, uh, to be believers. Um, he knew who would accept him, and he called those. Uh, and that's the calling, the, the hope of that, that calling that we've all received, um, and, and that's the hope we, that we put our trust in. Now, the second thing Paul prays is that um, we understand the riches of his glorious inheritance. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I want to I stop here for a second and just say, you know, think, think about that. Um, we use that term, children of God, uh, quite often. Um, but I don't think we should take that lightly. Uh, that's an amazing thing that uh, God would call his, his children. You know, what, what, did, what did we ever do to deserve that? 
I'll tell you, nothing. We didn't do anything. Uh, we have no claim in any inheritance in, in, in God or in his inheritance, uh, except that he's given it to us freely. You know, what an amazing thing. Now, the, the, the children, the children of God, are the, the children are the ones who receive an inheritance from their parents. Um, and we receive that inheritance from God. Now, some people would say, you know, we're all God's children, and that's true, we're all, and we're all made in his image. But, but uh, John, uh, in John 1.12, we see that it's those who believe in his name who are the recipients of the inheritance and have the right to become children of God. And, and what is that, what is that uh, inheritance? It's a renewed relationship with God. It's a guarantee of, and a promise of eternal life uh, in his presence. It's, a, it's a, an ability to look forward to an incorruptible body on a new earth. Uh, where there's, there will be no more, no more death, no more crying, and no more pain. So that brings us to the third thing that Paul would like us to understand. The greatness of his power. And he's going to point out the supreme demonstration of, of the working of his power. And that's in raising Christ from the dead and exalting him uh, to a position above everything. Now when I first looked at this passage, I thought... Okay, is that really the best demonstration of, of, of God's power, raising one guy from the dead? Because if you think about it, Jesus wasn't actually the first one raised from the dead. Uh, even in the New Testament, Jesus raised three people from the dead, I think. Um, you know, and, I, and so I, I thought, you know, is that really the, the most awesome demonstration of God's power? I mean, if you think about it, he's the God of the universe. He spoke the universe into an existence, uh, from the biggest galaxies to the smallest atom. He spoke all that into existence, which seems to me an amazing uh, demonstration of his power. And yet, that's not where Paul goes with uh, with that demonstration. You know, but I think maybe that would be missing the point of um, uh, looking at it that way, the, because. The act of resurrecting Jesus from the dead um, was not simply a demonstration of God's power over death, but it's an example of, um, uh, I'm sorry, but it, but it paved the way for all believers to life eternal. And, uh, and 1 Corinthians uh, spells this out in uh, chapter 15. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also with a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So this demonstration of God's power becomes very personal to us. It affects us directly. It impacts us directly in that we can all have eternal life uh, through him. Now, the, the second demonstration of God's power is exalting Jesus above everything. Uh, and, and there in Ephesians 1, he says, And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. So here we have a, a stacking of five terms, rule, authority, power, dominion, title, or, or name in some translations. Uh, and many of these terms are used elsewhere in the, in the Bible. 
and they refer to various uh, forms of authority, some human authority, some uh, angelic or supernatural. You know, and I, I don't think we're meant to read too much into, well, this one means this and this one means this. I, I think what's, what's really being said here is that whatever authority there is, Jesus is over them all. And not just in the present age, in, in the age to come. Now, so now and forever, Jesus is Lord of all that. And God hasn't simply placed Jesus above these authorities. He's made them all subject to him. Uh, he's able to exercise his authority over everything under his feet. Philippians 2 uh, goes further in explaining this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, again, God has put Jesus uh, over all things and made everything subject to him. And I want to talk about that distinction for just a second, what it means to be subject. Um, you know, I, th I think of different kinds of laws. Uh, there's the speed limit. You know, the, it's 60 miles an hour on the highway. Uh, some of us go the speed limit. Some of us go a little over the speed limit. Some of us go a lot over the speed limit. Uh, you know, and uh, for the most part, we, we get away from it. We get away with it. Uh, you know, so the, the, there is that law, but we, we often disregard it. And, and so I would not say that we're subject to that law uh, in the same way as uh, other things. You know, by comparison, think about the law of gravity. I can jump up and try to stay in the air, but uh, I, I, can dis I can try to disregard that law, but I'm, I am subject to the law of gravity, and it is going to bring me right back down again, regardless of whether I disregard it. And I, I, I draw that, that, that comparison because I, I believe that not only is Jesus the authority, but we are subject to him. Um, and everyone, at, in Philippians 2 there, we see that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will, will confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, whether they uh, want to or not, that, that is what's coming. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my place. So uh, this, uh, this uh, brings us to the third uh, demonstration of God's power. Christ, Christ is Lord over everything. And specifically, he's head of the church. Uh, in Ephesians 1 there we see, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now in, in ancient times, as well as today, we recognize the head as being the controlling and influencing uh, factor over the body. What the, what the head says do, the, the body follows. And in the same way, Christ is the head of the church, and he's the one who guides it and directs us, directs it. Now that phrase, the fullness of all in all, is, uh, is referred to in one commentary I read as one of the most complex phrases in the Ephesians. Uh, it, it's led to a variety of interpretations as, as well as um, different translations. But I think there's uh, at least two things we can take from, from this. Now, while, while Christ has the authority over everything, only the church has the relationship to him as his body. Uh, the church has a unique position of fulfillment in him. And the fullness is a measure of how much Christ is working through the church to achieve his purposes. 
Ephesians 4 gives us some more details on this. In, in, in verses 7 and, uh, and onward, it says, But grace has been, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, and that is the church. Now, when we talk about the church this way, we know uh, we're not talking about a building. Uh, we're talking about a body of believers who live in community and work to glorify God and doing what he's called us to do. Uh, these are things like sharing the gospel, teaching and preaching his word, encouraging one another, praying for each other, observing the Lord's Supper and baptism, uh, caring for widows and orphans, and, and so on. And, and these things are played out in, in smaller ways and details like um, in things like camps and Bible studies, uh, VBSs, uh, volleyball, basketball, and, and so on. These are all uh, ways that believers uh, can be together and, and fulfill that, uh, that calling of Christ in the church. There are things that, uh, that we can't really do uh, on our own uh, for the most part. Sure, we can, we can pray on our own, we can study the Bible on our own, but we're more effective when we're together as a body, as a community of believers. I, I came across this interesting quote uh, in one of, the, uh, one of the commentaries I was using, and, and it's this. By speaking of the church as Christ's body and fullness, he emphatically underlines its significance within God's purposes. In itself, it is nothing. The church is nothing. Its privileged position comes from its relationship to the one who, as head, graciously fills it with his presence. Now, I think that's a, a great description of what the church is and uh, how Jesus fills it. You know, if, if you're here this morning and, uh, and some of this, I, you know, I've, I've used a lot of phrases like believers and uh, uh, the filling of the Spirit and some of these things. If, if this is something that's new to you this morning, uh, please uh, come talk to myself or Pastor Clint or Pastor Luke or, or whoever, and uh, let us, uh, let us, we'd love to have a conversation just about who Jesus is. Okay, so, so here, we, here we are. We pulled the car over, backed up. We found that deer. Um, we petted it and gave it the rest of our waffle fries and uh, moved on. But now what? You know, how, how does this impact us? How, how do we apply this in our life? And I see two things that we can take to heart. First of all is follow Paul's example and pray for each other. Paul was praying for believers. Uh, I believe he's praying for believers everywhere, including us. And we ought to be praying for each other, uh, these same things. Uh, we ought to be praying for these things in our own life, that we would go deeper in our understanding of who God is and allow that to enlighten our hearts. And the, and the second thing is uh, be a part of the fullness of Christ as he works in the church. The, um, you know, God, God has put his church here on earth uh, as a way to exercise his fullness and uh, to minister to those uh, who, who don't know him or who do know him and uh, uh, need that supportive community. God designed us to be in community. And I know I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but... Uh, if, if there's a way that you can be involved in the church and, uh, and what it's doing in those various ministries, I would encourage you to be a part of that. Let, let me pray. Lord God, uh, 
we thank you for your word again. And Lord, um, uh, Lord, I, I do pray that you would give us understanding, uh, that you would use your spirit to work in our hearts, Lord, that uh, we would uh, see you, uh, who you are, that we would have an appreciation of the inheritance that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray that uh, the understanding of your power and your, your mighty working in the, in the world, in, the, in our lives, Lord, would, would uh, drive us, it would motivate us, Lord, to, to go farther, to go deeper in relationship with you and to serve you, Lord, in the way that you have intended. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.